Hello again. Only a couple weeks later, I've successfully managed to track down the next guest on the vault, Mr. William Cunningham, another brilliant, uh, very close friend of mine, also from Marquette. Uh, I will say, if you're sick of hearing the Marquette stories, I understand, and you can skip past that, which is probably pretty much the first thing we talk about. Uh, we do go pretty in-depth in a lot of pretty interesting uh, topics in economics, which, if that's your thing, go ahead and listen to it, because it's pretty damn good, and I think we covered a lot of cool stuff. But if it's not, I understand, and if you skip to about 40 minutes into this podcast, we get into a lot of things that aren't related to economics, and it's uh it's quite good. This entire episode was a lot of fun. I'll have uh, more episodes soon, one actually featuring Will and uh, a bunch with new guests, and I hope you enjoy this one. All right. After a four-month hiatus, we are finally ready. The next episode of The Vault, featuring yet another Marquette guest, William Cunningham. Will, as I ask everybody on this, how are you feeling today? I'm feeling pretty good, John. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty damn well. I built a thing today. I worked out a lot today. I'm back home in Iowa, and that is good and bad, mostly because of the Iowa part, but it's been a good time. And straight away, just like with every other, uh, well, actually pretty much every guest I've had, we're going to get into your backstory of how we know each other. And for you, that is going to be you describing your Marquette story, just like Jackson and Matt have before you. So basically, mm. start with, uh, uh, I guess, obviously, you, um, you started at a different undergrad, just like I did, and then found Marquette. So go through the... Uh, the the process of which you ended up there for me. Okay. So when I was, I think, a junior in undergrad, I took some classes, and they told me I could get, like, master's degree credit for some extra paper writing. So I did that, graduated, didn't know what to do, so that I applied to the MSAE at Marquette. And I went, like, two weeks early just to get settled. It was super weird, just sitting around in an empty room, playing League. <laughs> but <laughs> right, I, I played so much ranked. But uh, anyway, that's that's beside the point. And uh, anyway, so then I, I start going to class, and I think I had like Micro with Meyer. It was my first class I ever had. And I remember seeing Jackson there. And then the next class I had was Econometrics with Jolly. And Jackson sat next to me. And pretty much introduced himself and said, hey, I saw you in this other class. And then that was pretty much the how I got to Marquette and got to the core of the group, Jackson Vries. So on our podcast together with Jackson, uh, he details the story of finding you uh, by noting that you guys, pretty much what you just said, you guys like sat to get, sat next to each other during classes, but that... Ultimately, your friendship was cemented when he showed you uh, a meme of literal, like, I think it was like hardcore porn or something like that. Can you? Oh yeah. Can, can you confirm this for me? Oh, hundred percent. It was. I think it was like the second time I saw him, maybe the third. Uh, he he said, <laughs> sorry. He he did this. He said, "Do you like memes?" 
or something like that. And I went, oh yeah, of course. And he, he like put his phone sideways and put it up to my face. And it was like, I don't remember what it was. It was like an animal making a, a glug, glug, glug noise. And then it like, <laughs> it like went to like some hardcore porn deep throating. <laughs> it wasn't a meme. I didn't understand. But that, that yeah, that, that was the, uh, the first real interaction with Jackson. Perfect. Okay. I wanted to make sure that was, I know Jackson wouldn't oh, lie yeah. to me, but. Uh, no, that's, that's credible. It's really, it's really on par for kind of the rest of our friendship anyways especially your guys' connection um there's gonna be a podcast in the future where we're all on together which we already tried uh and was like not even borderline incomprehensible but actually incomprehensible so we're gonna get one when we're not too plastered to do so look for that in the future but uh just to just to wrap up a little bit more of the backstory matt similarly describes meeting you by i think it was some class you guys had with Norzad. I don't remember if he said it was macro or if he said it was time series. Uh, but ultimately, he heard you talking about League. Said just mentioning one thing, and then he was like, oh, you play League? And then it was all over from there. Is that somewhat close to the truth? Yeah, that was, that was pretty much it. It was the, the strange uh, late-night three-hour macro lecture which was fantastic but yeah that's pretty much how it happened so one of i don't remember who said it first but someone mentioned something about league and then i found out he played and i asked for his username and he said vector two heavens right and i kept going home and typing it out and putting two like t-o and i did that for (laughs) two days straight and I, i said hey i can't get your name to work and he said oh just give me yours i'll do it and then like that night he, he figured it out. Okay, that's actually super fucking funny. I didn't know that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's perfect. Yeah, I was going to say, I, we have, like, I'm running out of original Marquette guests to bring on here, so we have the story from pretty much all different angles here. But something I want to get into lore. a little bit about your background specifically is that you didn't start, just kind of like Jackson and I, you didn't start as an economics major in undergrad you started if i remember right correct as a biochem major unless i have that mm-hmm. wrong so when did you know that it was time to switch out of the natural science field and maybe actually find well i guess and when you found that econ might be a field that you one can survive in and two actually enjoy doing for the long run so I was, yeah, you're correct, I was originally biochem, and maybe a year and a half into that process, I started looking at job prospects for just having an undergraduate degree in that field, and I was not too impressed, and I also was struggled with one or two classes, and I'd like have to like retake something which I didn't want to do, and so then I pretty much jumped ship, because it was not going the way I wanted it. And then I had kind of a sabbatical year where I'd take whatever the fuck I wanted. And I dabbled around in, like, history and anthropology and stuff, a bunch of other stuff that's hard to get a job in. And then econ was a nice intersection of something I actually found interesting that has better prospects for future careers. That's pretty much how I landed on it gotcha so was it like was it scary like when you when you kind of realized like oh my god like 
what I've sunk a couple years into might not pan out how I thought. And then like you said, you took you took a full year in between like actually committing to a different major. Yeah, so I went into I took a bunch of AP classes for like electives and stuff when I was in high school. And then I pretty much got to my college and I realized I could get the biochem degree with like exact I pretty much it would work the timing would work out nicely that I could get everything. Um in a like a short amount of time. That was kind of the point. And the second it that's kind of why the retaking the class thing was so bad. Because, like, my entire idea was, like, quick in and out. So that was the first, like, weird feeling about it. And it was kind of concerning. Because then I thought I'd just be staying longer. But after getting out of that, obviously you're not looking at other careers that much. So it's kind of, you don't know what you're walking into. So that that was a little frightening. That's That so. sounds rather similar to me, actually. I, um, my, the middle of my sophomore year of college, I was a computer science major at the time. And I was taking CS2, which was primarily concerned with object-oriented programming with C++. And the second day of class, our professor, who uh, didn't actually have a PhD, but had worked on so many like notorious projects that he had an honorary one, and the school was just like, fuck it, come teach kids how to do this, because obviously you know what you're doing. He had really high expectations, and the second day of class... He asked us to make this extremely complicated sorting algorithm that I just was not prepared for. And I remember I looked, uh, I asked some of the tutors and they're like, yeah, this literally only gets harder. That was one of the easiest things in the class to do. And I was like, well, I am fucked. (laughs) And I remember I floated around for about a semester before uh, actually settling on econ and it was like horrifying for like that semester because I was like in college, I was like, huh, I've put basically a year and a half into this, you know, into college so far. And, and like, I have no idea what I'm going to end up with by the time I'm like graduating, if I even graduate at this rate. Uh, so it was, I don't know. I, I, I know obviously quite a lot of people have switched majors uh, or do switch majors in, in their time and sometimes even pretty late, but everyone's had that oh shit moment. And we talked a lot. I, especially with Jackson, uh, talked a whole lot about like everyone has that moment where you don't know if you're actually going to make it in the thing you're doing or the thing you're not you know, doing mm-hmm. anymore. But it's amazing how it's a, a constant across pretty much everyone that goes through academia at this rate. Yeah. Well, it's a super shitty feeling. At least for me, I felt like I wasted a lot of time because I just wanted, I don't know, it was kind of the reason I took those classes in high school was so I could have credit in college, so I could graduate early. It's like it's all this like work from that. And then just the raw time of those classes in college. Like, if you think about it, it's quite a bit. It so I think that's for lot. me why it was, like, mainly upsetting. Is I felt like I just wasted too much time. It's so many resources. Uh, but it get, does give you a, a good background to a degree. I mean, it, it kind of trains to think in different ways. But That is that is true. Uh, Car- Carthage, Carthage mm-hmm. really prided themselves on the, the whole liberal arts education, uh, which really meant I had to take, like, fucking art classes and philosophy classes, which some of them were valuable, some of them were cool. Some of them I literally, like, drew, like, animals on, um, like, paper and got an A. So I don't know. Uh, but you're right. Did I ever tell you the, the philosophy class I took with Patrick? No, or but I, I tell you about I, that. Wait, you took a class with Patrick? Fuck yes, I want to hear about this. Yeah, yeah. So we both needed like an elective in a certain area, and it was like a philosophy sort of thing. It was that or some other choice. And we were both like signing up for classes around the same time, and we realized at that moment that we could like take a class together. 
Um, so we show up, and the the professor, he's a great guy, because I, I end up knowing him a lot closer later, but the class was just so fucking weird. It was like an introduction to logic, but the lectures were just kind of incoherent, and the guy was kind of rambly. And Patrick, like on the second homework, didn't get 100%. And he just dropped the class instantly because <laughs> he just like like I remember he didn't even really tell me about it like the the like the I think it was something like we were driving in a day and he's like oh yeah I don't need to come with you for that I dropped that class I was like what <laughs> like you just left <laughs> and then so I made one of the worst decisions of my college career was just to stick it out in the class without him oh my god that 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 class was not my thing. Professor was a great guy, though. He ended up, uh, for, like, two years straight after that, he would go to chess club, and we'd, like, play a game against each other. Wait, so then so. he saw Pat there, too, right? Because Pat was also in chess club. Oh, yeah. Club. I don't think he remembered Patrick. He definitely remembered me. I see. Um, okay. Yeah. That was really nice. That's a fun guy. That's an incredible story. Holy shit. <laughs> yeah, right? He just, just dipped. <laughs> so... What ended up making econ stick for you? Because obviously you just mentioned a little bit, like it has it has some of those some of the values, some of the like uh, aspects to the field that are like interesting to think about, and they're a fun cross section between like actually having some analytical science parts to them while also giving a little bit of freedom uh, in terms of like problem solving and uh, actually being integrated with policy and some some you know human behavior stuff so while you take a second to think about that i'll describe mine uh because right after actually i shouldn't say right after the semester after i had my horror story with computer science i took my first ever stats class which was technically a business statistics course so it was kind of a joke math wise but it was taught by this guy who fucking loved stats which made it really awesome and it was interesting because he has phd in ornithology so all of his research and his like dissertation was done on measuring different types of bird sounds and creating replications with different sorts of algorithms so he was super experienced but all of his examples were like bird related so he was a really weird fucking guy but he's very smart very enthusiastic about the class that's super interesting and something that he preached a lot he was like look if you've never done any sort of like quantitative investigation like sort of stuff before in your life you might like this is going to be really hard but you might find it super interesting and the first ever assignment we had was literally to come up we were supposed to like download some data off of us off of the census website and create a uh, scatter plot and create like and just show a little correlation and I almost dropped the class because of it because I could not figure out how to fucking do it <laughs> because I was kind of I was just I don't know I was a moron about it and then the next assignment we did was uh, a lot uh, it was it was a lot simpler in terms of like how we got data and everything but it was creating a regression model that predicted uh, wins of like an NBA team based on certain team stats and I remember getting that kind of understanding like actually understanding the backbone behind it and like being interested in the subject obviously and i was so fucking hooked that i remember i like i did it the second the assignment came out and i went to him and i was like hey where can i find more data sets and like you know learn about this stuff a little bit more and he gave me instead of pointing me to like online resources or like 
like reading about you know like even like further into the textbook or anything he gave me two stats and econ magazines like actual <laughs> physical magazines <laughs> and i read through them and that's where i discovered like oh wait a second a lot of this is like economic inference and like um like statistical analysis from like uh certain econ papers and everything and i was taking a micro like intro micro class that semester as well and so i just went to my advisor and was like hey is this stuff that i can do like in these sorts of classes and he's like yeah like it's not all the time but like it's kind of like how you actually write papers and everything and i was like fuck it i'm sold like let's do it <laughs> and so that from then on like everything stuck and i guess i got lucky in terms of actually liking the some of the theoretical parts behind this behind economics too but uh I don't know. That's that's some guy with a goddamn PhD in ornithology convinced me to become an economist in my life. So that's my uh, that's my story. Hmm. That I don't I don't think mine's gonna top that. But uh, for me, I became interested in the field, kind of sold on it. In I think it was my intermediate micro course where I had this uh, old Belarusian like guy who grew up in the Soviet Union. And he would always make political references in his classes, which I thought was super fun because, um, you know, you're debating fucking, can be you're, fun. You're right? a god gamer, and, uh, lib right man. Yes, I know. <laughs> oh, of course, yeah. So it's kind of you can apply theory to what you how you think the world should work. It's it's kind of fun. Um, so I enjoyed that aspect of it, and his stories were all super cool, just about like old weird Soviet stuff. Um, then the actual work, I think, happened pretty much when I did those little extra project things for credit at Marquette, where I actually found a topic I was interested in. I thought it was very, it was fun to just, like, dig into the problem. Um, and, and that way I found, and like you had mentioned, that's kind of more how papers are actually written, at least non-theoretical papers. Um, and... So once I found out that what I was doing was what you actually do at the job, that's kind of when um, I just thought that was a really lucky alignment, I guess, for me. Works out. I, I, between you, Jackson, myself, and Matt, I think like zero of us have a straightforward like how we got into econ story, which is really funny because uh, you are already in a PhD program. I really should have like. I mean, not really that many people listen to this thing anyways, but I really should have introduced you off the top. I'm just rusty. But you are in a PhD program at Southern Methodist University right now. I am about to start mine at Colorado State this fall. Matt is taking classes for his, and Jackson keeps flirting with the idea, but the problem is he keeps getting jobs too good to actually leave. So, <laughs> yeah, it's, it is it is really strange how, like, all of us are, you know, in the field have been for a while obviously all got our masters in it and i mean for you me jackson it wasn't even our first choice for matt i mean he was like half and half but i don't know it's it's quite strange that uh econ was kind of the thing that found us rather than us well i shouldn't say that uh it was kind of the the i don't even want to call it settling it just kind of happened for all of us and it ended up working out pretty mm -hmm. damn well so we're gonna get into we're gonna get into some interesting things here, and I'm really excited for this. Right off the bat, I need your I need your quick take on whether or not you think economics is a science. 
because obviously uh it's it's you know it's usually labeled or it's usually lumped in with like a business school or a social science school and this is uh, this is kind of a heavily debated thing within people like actually in academia people just like like people with anime twitter profile pictures online uh people in reddit uh just kind of anywhere like some people think economics is literally you know can you make the stock market move some people think econ is uh literally the entire world but for you uh you know a full year into your econ program or your phd program now and uh having lived through some real experiences in it do you think that it should count as a credible science yeah, I would say so. Obviously, depends on what level of credibility you you think science warrants. Because um, obviously, some harder sciences have margins of error that are just astronomically lower than what we deal with. But yeah, I'd say it's definitely a science. Um, most of econ is just like math application. Uh, so it's like it's very core. The theories is all just kind of math, and then the application of it is just related lots of statistics so it's just you're still trying to answer scientific questions you're just throwing doing it through distorted information so i would definitely say it's a science but um and that's also why people are kind of mentioning it's kind of like a social science it is a social science uh but i like to think at least that it's maybe the most rigorous social science i wouldn't call it a hard science but i'd say it's the, it's the top end of the spectrum for that that lower bracket in terms of being rigorous and being credible. Gotcha. I, that I was gonna say that is a that is a good um, that is a good argument with good backup there. I I'm on the I'm on the same side as you. I I always think it depends on what you define like a science as, but ultimately I think like if you if if the experiments the um, the questions you seek to answer you do so through like a like the scientific method process then generally you are like that that field could be thought of as a science and really like especially nowadays or i should say um even as far as some of the earliest analytical papers a lot of them are you know here's like a somewhat control group here's a group that we've modified like one thing to here's how they're different or how they're the same and this effect you know like one single isolated effect uh has changes and especially nowadays like with uh randomized controlled trials or even your favorite new thing the synthetic control method there's a lot of mathematical and statistical uh possibilities that lead to like some call them like pseudoscientific but like like possibly actual scientific uh you know methodology methodology changes to the way that economists actually come up like answer their own research questions so i would say um like some papers like the usually you know the nobel winners are usually just theoretical papers but um as matt and i got to meet mrs uh or dr esther duflo she actually wrote a real like randomized control trial application paper and i would have a hard time you know going up to her face and saying like hey i don't know if your results were like scientifically valid you know uh but i would i don't know i would agree just because a lot of people work extremely hard to make sure that inferencing, like every single step of the process from like 
the the research question itself to the methodology it gets answered with to the data that gets used to the actual statistical techniques that get that get used everything is so precise and careful and thoughtful at this you know at this stage that I would say it is as close to I shouldn't say that it's it's not like lab experiments but it's as precise as it possibly can be given the realm of possibility so I would say it's close yeah, enough, uh, close enough to the scientific method to, maybe to pro to count as a science. Yeah, I mean, if you're trying to answer those same questions, I don't think you could, like you were mentioning, I don't think you could do it much more scientifically without like an experiment. So, I agree. So, we're gonna get into uh, this this one of my favorite articles that I ever stumbled upon when I was reading just just weird, interesting things about economics. So my one of my favorite writers that just puts out a blog about econ stuff his name is noah smith do you know him at all or no i do not know he i for uh, i say he's one of my favorite people and i forget where his phd is from but um right now he's a he works for bloomberg and he just puts out this like daily blog and he's uh actually a super fucking funny guy on twitter he has an anime profile picture and tweets all of like <laughs> kind of like half and half about like econ stuff and half about like weeb stuff and he's like 45 so he's kind of a gamer um but he i gotta puts, get into that twitter thing i was gonna say i'll send you i'll send you some stuff about this because it's fucking hilarious um he puts out a column every other day about just like stuff that's going on in the world but he actually uses like real like economic analysis to talk about it with but he's also like entertaining so he hits like all three of the you know venn diagram check boxes of like being informative being accurate and not having it suck to read so i really like him and a few years ago actually i should say uh in 2015 he came out with this article that was an economics critique scorecard where he took some of the usual criticisms of economics and he talked about like how how he thought you know how valid they were and i was going to run some of these by you and get your opinion on them because some of these okay. some of these are fucking interesting so first this one this one's it's not a softball but it's a it's a more straightforward one econ relies too much on theory and not enough on data would you agree with that, disagree with that, or would you go neutral? And give like a, I would quick, a quick little blurb on it. Neutral leading towards agree. Uh, can you repeat the question? <laughs> Field it relies, the, no, it's okay. It relies too, too much on too theory. Too much on the theory, question, not right? enough on data. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the argument against econ stuff. I would, yeah, I, I'd kind of agree, but I wouldn't, like, go that far as to, like, argue for that point. Um, it definitely suffers from some issues, especially when you start really getting into the meat of the models. They're super simplistic, but at the same time, the, the core logic behind them still holds, so they can be useful just for giving direction. Gotcha. I would actually say I don't have an opinion on that one just because... I don't have I don't have nearly the experiences you do yet with um, some of the higher level stuff. I I probably will in a year, but uh, I don't I personally I, I I don't know. Just I out of all the papers I have not read enough papers and I have not explored enough data to 
uh, really understand if the field is biased to one one way or another. You're gonna like this next one though, and you're you might be a little biased because you're kind of going through uh, you're going through some shit in terms of qualifying studying right now. <laughs> yeah, just this, a little bit on Tuesday. This uh, the second one, the second criticism is that econ uses too much math. Same deal as last time. No, what? That's okay. I strongly disagree with that. Uh, what? Well, I don't know. It depends. If you're good going through a PhD, the math is annoying, right? And it's it's very rigorous. But when you actually get into the meat of it, there's not that much like math being done. There's just like things you have to cross reference and check, which the math helps with. But no, that that, that that's my answer. Gotcha. I actually I would I would have disagreed with that one too. Just because, while sometimes it does seem like a very high volume of like math that you're using for everything, it's all for a reason, and it's because like yeah, economists don't really I I shouldn't say uh, most often do not do like field research like you can't if I'm gonna study car accidents I'm not gonna go sit on the interstate and watch people crash into each other so like when you're using data points that you take from other people. Or like even you're trying to come up with um, like behavioral, like theoretical behavioral models. You have to make, you have to like be able to come up with complex mathematical, uh, uh, thinking of, I can't think of a goddamn word. I'll just say formulas instead to model how like people behave and pe- how people interact with things or like businesses or countries or whatever your unit of observation is. So to come off as like even even to have like some source of credibility like you have to make it complicated enough uh to the point where you have to start you know dabbling into like complicated fields of math so i would agree with you and it's interesting because uh noah smith this guy who created this whole thing uh talks about how if you read papers from the 70s and 80s it's like almost incomprehensible because of the math that uh, they actually threw into their papers rather than nowadays where it seems like it's a little bit more calmed down and a little bit more, um, how do I put it? A little bit more simple, I shouldn't say simplistic, but easier to read. So I think we're all in agreement on that one. <laughs> you'll, yeah, you'll... I have another point at it, I think, is that the math, it, it might be too much if you're thinking of it in terms of it almost gatekeeping the field. Um, I could see an argument for that being made, but at the same time, it, it definitely I think improves the results. If you if it was less math intensive, I think you'd, there'd be more research output, but I think it wouldn't be nearly as credible, which matters a lot. So, I would I that's a good point. I, I'll agree with you on that one too. All right, third one. You're gonna like this one. Uh, our friend Matt, who's sitting in this chat, might like this one a lot too. Economics is a front. For neoliberal slash laissez-faire politics. Well, that, this is a real this is a real <laughs> argument that apparently he got he got emailed. So, do you have a <laughs> do you have do you have an opinion on that one? So based. Uh no, I don't, I don't think so. It's just well, I mean, maybe research interest. I mean, that's kind of what I put, That's how I got in the field, isn't it? I was interested in the topics. Like, oh, I could use this tool to support my my opinions. <laughs> but it's, uh, facetiously, okay. yes, but seriously, no. I love it. So I I have a little bit of 
insight into this one just because when I um, a, a little while ago I came home to came home to Iowa and I was talking to my dad about something that I was doing and he asked me to look up this economist named Thomas uh, Sewell or Soul I can't remember exactly what his last name is but he's this uh, he's this African American economist who studies like race and inequality and everything and I was like wait a second this is weird because my dad is extremely conservative and has uh, very one-sided opinions on those things that I didn't think he would agree with on, you know, an African-American economist who studies those things. So I was like, wait a second, I actually got to look this up. So I did, and then I realized Thomas Sowell was saying that most people are in poverty because they choose to be or because, like, Us they just don't base. work hard enough. And I was like, oh, like, wait a second, what is mm. this guy's story? And I kind of got dragged into this rabbit hole of uh, finding economists that mostly like they, they would get their degrees and then they would get hired uh, in large like political grandstanding positions because of the Cold War and because uh, the government wanted public faced economists who would come out with like columns or like research or everything that would essentially show the benefits of capitalism over communism as a whole because they just wanted like like that sort of propaganda to get put out to American citizens. So I think like where where that argument came from was that uh, some people like uh, Noah Smith talks about this too a little bit. Milton Friedman uh, was a big one uh, mm-hmm. who apparently like a lot of a lot of serious academic economists or whatever that it really means don't really like too much just because he was mostly like his views and uh his notoriety mostly comes from um being being like shoved into the face of people by the government uh to make sure that uh their views on pro the capitalistic ideals were uh put out there enough so that's apparently where that one came from yeah that 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 tracks for me, I guess. I, I guess econ is super politicized. Um, even I mean, you can look at a bunch of data on um, the way economists slide in one way or another, but they are tend do tend to lead more liberal. And you can even think of like is maybe as far back as World War Two with how politicized economics is. So like for instance, Hitler and such the entire Nazi regime didn't view economics as legitimate science like they just didn't believe in it um so it is kind of a product of the system we live in but i don't think that acts to tarnish it in any way it just is yeah i think it's almost impossible to have um i shouldn't say impossible but it's very difficult to have like to talk about high level economic issues with people outside of the field of economics without it becoming a political issue just because of how intertwined a lot of these subjects are because like any any sort of political candidate that runs and is like i want to increase gdp sounds good but that's an economic issue not a political issue so the fields like ultimately just at, at the base of you know at the at, at their cores are intertwined enough so well yeah you even get this with when whenever you tell someone you're in econ Oh people my God, almost always ask you a feeler time. question right and it's always some it's always super fucking awkward because they give you this grin and kind of make eye contact and like because they're expecting you to say whatever it is they think 
and do this super awkward like you have to think about their feelings and also answer their question so it's, yeah, only, it's, I, it's like half the time it's about the national debt and they're like so what do you think about this national debt and they just keep eye contact and grin it's like <laughs> what, the, what the fuck like, i don't know was it ready for this is that yeah. we don't sit around in our classes talking about the national debt <laughs> like, <laughs> i don't know no you're so right about that you tell anyone you're an econ major and they're they like their eyebrows raise a little bit and they like look at you like oh so you know how to solve like xyz issue and you're like no like i look at fucking like numbers and like read hard to read papers all day that's all i do but no i actually have a quick story on that though um a couple weeks ago i came back uh to iowa uh just to drop a whole bunch of my shit off before i moved home permanently and while I was back, I caught up with one of my, probably my best like high school friend uh, and his family while he was home. And I spent a lot of time with their family when I still lived around the area and I knew them super well, everything. And uh, so I went over to their house for dinner before we went out and saw some of our other friends that night. And his grandparents were over. And so they're asking me, you know, like, oh, like, what do you do right now? I told them I was about to go get my PhD in econ. And uh, his grandfather looks at me and he's like, so I was, uh, I dropped off my car the other day at an auto shop and uh, this black guy gave me a ride home and he was like, I think I'm going to quit my job because uh, uh, the like unemployment benefits from this pandemic are, you know, good enough to where I don't have to work and I still make enough money. Like, what do you think about that? And I was like, oh my God, because like, I'm sitting at like the head of their dining table around like seven other people we're all looking at me to give some sort of answer and i'm mm-hmm. like, like this is this this is super uncomfortable that's, and, that's so uncomfortable it's not even a, uh, that's not even a general question that's this is my life what do you yeah, think it's, like, it's oh so intense God. so i gave i don't know i gave some like weasel out answer where i was like well i don't know like you might feel the incentives like whatever i i said i said something stupid right you always gotta do those uh, so you don't offend anybody it was awful it was awful it was awful so it's worse when they know that it was a filler answer and they kind of give you that look like i know you didn't just answer my question i think i and they most of the time they let it go i think i threw in enough buzzwords where they're like oh like i don't really understand but he said some things i don't understand so i'll give him credit for it so i hope that worked out but jesus christ you're so right about that all right we're gonna do we're gonna do two more and then uh actually sorry we're gonna do three more because they're funny and then we're gonna move on to the next thing okay so first one economists assume rational expectations which is bullshit no it's this i I get a very i get tilted by this question because i've heard this shit before um where people um i'm gonna abstract it to just rationality in general if that's okay of Um, course where people say that, oh, this this is based on, like, the rational consumer. People are like, oh, this person does this thing. It's like, that's not the fucking point. Rational just means you follow what you want. And even if that's, like, a distorted uh, incentive, it, you're still being rational. It, it's borderline impossible not to be rational, so long as you're thinking about your decisions. The only way you're not rational is if you're just, like, fucking random. And this has always super tilted me. I'm not quite sure why, but... That's my take on that. Is it's rational and people don't get what we mean when we say rational. 
that it's it seems like it's definitely a, like a semantics issue more than anything where it's mm-hmm. like if you if you think of rational expectations as like okay everybody at like all hours of the day 24 7 is going to be doing the best thing for them then of course not because like we would like we wouldn't play league if we if everybody like league wouldn't exist if if rational expectations <laughs> was like that because all we're doing is destroying our mental health and wasting time like the if, if that well. sort of <laughs> if that sort of rational expectations idea existed then like people would sleep like only the optimal number of hours of day hours of the day they would take the rest of the time to increase their human capital they would work at the highest paying job that their current level of human capital would work at and they would like that's how lives would be lived and like to an extent to an extent that is it's just not like that level of optimization but people do do the best things for them more often than not yeah. so i'm with you i i do think rational expectations is like while it's like it's literally the core of like it's the backbone of the profession to it to an, to a certain extent because it's what a lot of the main theories are based off of but i do think it's it's a pretty valid one to like base everything off of yeah i agree all right two more first one economics spends way too much energy on macro and just the field of macro in general i agree to a degree i'm, I'm much i'm very biased in this because i'm <laughs> I, i'm more favor micro or just econometrics in general is um <laughs> but so I think I, I'm not too well versed in this field, so I might be talking about my ass here, but I feel like too much macro research is, I'm trying to think how to say it, it's too specific. Um, when macro is not that old of a field, right? So if you sink a bunch of time in the wrong direction, I guess that's how I'll put it. So, I mean, almost everything's based off of like solo framework, right? Well, if that wasn't the best way to start modeling it, all of this work might be in jeopardy, if that makes sense. If, like, 20 years from now, if just the entire framework changes. So I feel like there's, I feel like there should be more effort and research in that direction, almost moving horizontally rather than vertically down where we're already going. So I guess that would be my answer on that. I, I don't have too much of a an opinion on this i fucking hate macro because i think it's boring so i'm super biased against (laughs) it anyways um i think if we told actually max is switching out of macro right now but i was gonna say is that official uh i shouldn't say that officially um he told me he was thinking about it uh but i was gonna say if we told him that at the height of his like thesis or when he was really going through it he that might have been fighting words for him but uh Yeah, I would, I don't know. I can't say I agree because I don't know enough, but uh, macro sucks dick, and that's my last, that'll be my last thoughts on that. Um, Your thoughts were very well-versed, and I appreciate those, and I hope I get to learn more about those. Struggling. (laughs) All right, last one. I want this to be succinct, okay? Okay. Econ is sexist. Yes. Perfect. All right, moving on. Um... That was a lot. Holy shit! Yeah, that was a lot of talking about econ. I was at, at another point. I'm gonna ask you about. You got my things. brain tired. I, I, I kicked say. my feet up after studying six hours for my qualifier, and you asked me a half hour of, of economics questions. Yes, I did. And now we're gonna move on to way more fun shit. Don't worry. All right. Yeah. We're gonna talk about the next most important things in our lives: our cats. Hmm. So 
You mean the most important? Yeah, pretty much, actually. I don't know why I put that. I mean, they're fucking tattooed on my body at this rate, so, yeah. Uh, we're going to get into it. So, first well, off. Well, I've decided, I think I am going to get a tattoo with you guys. Oh, I've, I've, fuck I've, yeah. I've settled Thank on God. that, 100%. Thank God. During okay. the Texas trip. Now, the next question is, do we do matching or separate? Or both. So I think I think so. that is going. I think we're gonna do separate ones that all relate to like the most important things we did at Marquette. So like for instance, Jackson <laughs> is gonna get the negative R squared thing. He might do the drawing of the rat too, uh, that you put up there. That's uh, TBD. I don't know if he has. That's going on his pelvis. I heard. Yes, 100%. I think so. I think you're right about that too. Um, and then uh, Matt, I might have talked into getting the symbol that represents the Lou Bell method errors. Uh, which is kind of <laughs> hilarious looking. I actually don't know what mine would be just yet. I'm trying to figure it out, but we'll we'll we have a lot of time. We have some time to uh, diagram and plan it out. Don't worry. I'm, I'm kind of screwed on mine for that one. Uh, if I focus on the econometric side of it, I focused a lot on the parallel trends assumption. But if I try to get a tattoo of that, it would just literally look like scribbles on my arms. So. <laughs> If you okay, if you I, I gotta figure something else. No, out. actually, no. The parallel trends assumption without like the x y like axis would look so cool. Actually, if it was just like <laughs> like showing like the break in the divide like before and after, that would be a cool tattoo. I promise, that would be a really cool looking tattoo. Are you, are you sure, John Luke? If it turns I, out I, badly, I, are you gonna I, pay I'm to get rid of it for me? I'm being a hundred percent serious right now. Actually, that would okay. Be maybe really we'll cool. consider it. Well, you know what? We can we can diagram it out here pretty soon. I will <laughs> I will I will draw this on my body and send it to you to show you that it won't look that bad. <laughs> All right, important things. Why did you want to get a cat when you did? Uh, I had always known I wanted to get a cat since when I had cats when I was little, and it had been years since I had them. And I always told myself, when I'm an adult, I'm going to get a cat. And I was kind of sitting there one day, and I was like, oh shit, I'm an adult, I can get a cat. And it was actually like on a trip I was having with my family. I was out in uh, Utah, like leaving Zion. And I was on my phone looking at the adoption like website, and I picked Alex out. The reason I picked him is I thought he was cute, and he was also I thought he was massive because the perspective of the picture made him look like one of those giant, like Maine Coon cats. <laughs> yeah. I know and then know. like they came to show him, and he was so tiny, poor guy. Um, but oh, he's looking at me right now. Actually, he's behind me. Um, yeah. But then but I, I I I love him so. That's fucking He's very awesome. Good. Um, I, I I've heard a little bit about what your adoption process was like, but go ahead. One oh, more time. One there. more. That's right. Well, I was gonna say one more time. Tell me, tell me the. So obviously you got interested with in with him and you like you know picked him out. But what was, what was the actual like getting the cat like physical part of it like? So. I don't know if I told everybody, or I don't know if I was talking to Jackson or something. I was talking to somebody. Somehow everybody fucking knew. And I don't remember telling any of everybody, but I must have been, like, talking in front of them or something. I don't know. And so I think we were in time series, maybe? I want to say time series. I don't quite remember. Thanks, Matt. It was time series. Um, and I remember I had to, like, go to class in like for a half hour or something and then dip and this was still when McGibbony was teaching the class and he gave me this like look the whole time like what the hell is going on um 
anyways, so I, I left, I went back, and this lady who is pretty much her whole thing is, like, adopting cats, uh, shows up, and then Alex, like, escapes from her arms, and goes under my bed, and is, like, hissing and clawing, so we spend, like, a half an hour trying to get him, we have to, and this lady, like, doesn't, I, doesn't ask or anything, she just starts moving my bed out of the way, like, to get him, I'm like, look, what, what if there's, like, a cum soccer in there or something? Like, what the fuck? Like, don't start moving my furniture, lady. I know it's your cat. I, oh, my God. It was it was all fine, though. But um, that's when I first saw him. But then when I actually got him, uh, the lady came with, like, a, her grandson or something. And he was, like, ripping around my tiny-ass apartment, like, going in circles and I had, like, my cello and my guitar, and I was like, Ugh! like, I don't know if I should, like, move him away from it. And he was just, like, tearing. He was, like, looking in my kitchen and shit. That dude was ripping it. And then I had to uh, say goodbye to the cat and go back to class, which was weird. <laughs> but then you I'm just pretty sure I'm cat. mixing two days in my head, but they're two very similar days. I see. But... That's uh, that's that's a very funny adoption story. Uh, I was gonna say I have I have only been blessed with the presence of Alex physically once, uh, which was very short lived before he darted under your bed too. But I know he's he, way more I know, brave now. I was gonna say I know he's a good boy and uh, I love getting pictures of him on the rare occasions. But um, I'll do my quick adoption stories too, and then I have more cat questions because they're fun. But um, mm. Sushi. I forgot if I told all you guys, but uh, I technically got sushi while I was still at Carthage in my senior year because my sister used to go to this horse barn that's not far away from where my parents live out in the middle of nowhere now. And one day, or actually I should say, at this horse barn, there were like a couple barn cats and like a couple barn cats will, if they're not spayed and neutered, will turn into many barn cats, which will then turn into like a thousand like like incest ridden barn cats and so one of the incest ridden like disgusting barn cats was sushi as a kitten and <laughs> he's my... not disgusting <laughs> and uh my <laughs> my mom and my sister like fell in love with him because he would like run up to them and like cuddle with them and like jump inside their car when like they would show up and they knew I was leaving Carthage soon and that I would have my own place up in Milwaukee. So they were like, we really like this cat, uh, but I don't know if we can just, like, take it. And then one day the barn owners were like, oh, by the way, we're, like, leaving and, like, we're not taking any of the barn cats with us. And so my mom and my sister were like, well, fuck, like, we don't want this one barn cat to die. So they just took him one day, kind of just stole him. And... Uh, it was funny because they didn't think there were going to be any like repercussions to it, but apparently that was like that barn owner's daughter's favorite cat. And, oh my god! Um, they put a post out on Facebook asking if anyone had seen Mister Fluffernutters, which was his <laughs> original name. And, I'm gonna call uh, him that next time I see him. <laughs> and uh, that was, um, and so my parents, my my mom and my sister were like, "Oh God! Like, do we give him back?" And then they thought, and they were like, wait a second, they're not actually going to take, like, any of these cats with them, including him. We're not leaving out, him out there to die. So my mom and my sister committed, like, literal crimes to get sushi to me. And uh, that is the story of how sushi exists in my house. And then Toast, 
uh, the first weekend I came up to Marquette, I didn't know you guys yet, but my girlfriend came with me and I was like, wow, it's nice. Like being up here in Milwaukee, it's cool having a cat. But like when I leave, like sushi's like fucking heartbroken his entire life, which was very short at the time. He'd either been with other barn cats or he'd been with the other three cats that I have at my house. Like he needs a friend. And so like the third, like the third day that I was in Milwaukee, uh, we went to the humane society and, uh, at the, at that Wisconsin humane society, they only let you look at three cats, three out of the, like the 25 fucking cats they have there because of time constraints. And so I picked like the first cat I picked was a big ass Maine Coon, like what you were talking about, um, named Prince. But the problem was (laughs) the day before, uh, I, I like the day before that we went there, Prince got neutered. So he was like pissed off and just did not want to socialize. <laughs> so I was like, well, uh, on to the next one, I guess. And so then I picked toast, uh, which was interesting because her name, uh, originally was actually Chloe, which was the name of my ex-girlfriend. Uh, and literally she, you know, you guys have come by apartment by my apartment a couple times. And you know how she does that thing where she like, will just rub her face into like weird parts of your body. Uh, yeah. She did that from the get-go. Like, she came out of her cage and just rubbed her face all over my feet. And I was like, yeah, this is the <laughs> one. And uh, just took her home. And so that's how I have my cats. That's a good story. It's, yeah, God. I don't know what we would do without these things. But, all right. I need an interesting story about some of the weird habits that Alex has developed just being around you and the habits that uh, you've developed taking care of Alex. So, for instance, so you have one to go off of. Uh, I'll tell you my sushi one, and then I'll hear your one, and I'll tell you my toast one, because it's really fucking good. But every time I would leave my Milwaukee apartment, or I would be, a, I would kind of get in the process to leave, sushi would, like, start to freak out, because he learned what my process was. Like, if I was going out to hang out with people, I would take a shower, and then, like, kind of organize my apartment in case people came back and then I would like kind of just freshen up and make and like uh you know lint roll myself and everything and he would freak out and he would sit in my kitchen and scream at me until I gave him (laughs) treats because he knew that I would feel bad about leaving and give him treats if he did that um I got a little I got strong enough at one point to ignore him in that regard for a little while and I just pet him and be like oh watch the house big guy and that'd be good enough for me but at at one point then he started sitting right in front of my front door and he was like fucker you're oh not leaving God. until you give me treats and so he like have, he yes he actually extorted me to treats and once i gave him those treats i would leave and he just wouldn't give a shit <laughs> so he, <laughs> I, he didn't actually care about me he just knew he just he's smart enough to understand how to get food from me when it mattered so that is my that is my sushi behavior story do you have one about alex yeah, I have a, I have quite a few, but let me just. Oh, keep let's fucking here. fucking no fire fire. I'll them just all keep off. going through. Okay, yeah. so ways that he's so when I used to live in Milwaukee. Uh, I don't know, John, were you ever up to my apartment? I can't remember. I was I was once, and we saw okay. Alex for literally a nanosecond, and then he darted under your bed. Yeah, my, my weird clandestine apartment. But uh, do you know that there's like a hallway, almost like it was like a hotel. There's like a hallway leading up to the door, sort of thing. Yeah. So I do. when I used to come home he would like hear me coming sort of thing and i'd open the door and he would bolt out and i'd let him like walk around in that area 
I found that was a bad habit because now that I'm here, he tries to run off into Dallas on his own, like anytime I open the door. <laughs> so I have to like very, whenever I'm with anybody, I have to warn them. I'm like, hey, he's probably right here and he's going to go for it. And sure enough, he's always at the door right when I come home, like trying to get out. And then we do this thing where I pick him up and hold him and stuff. And he'll, if I don't do it, he'll lay with his back on the ground and just show me his stomach and just like stretch and he'll stay there until I pick him up. Um, he also does this weird shit in the middle of the night. Like I'm sure that all cats do this, but he will find if there's anything cardboard or paper of any sort in my room, he will chew on it and rip it up like at 3 (laughs) a.m. And it's, Oh my God. I just end up like throwing blankets at him to make him stop. That's mainly mainly how I deal with it. But oh my god, he's a terrorist in the middle of the night. I can't get him to. He's so well behaved every other part of the day, but just like 4 a.m., he's a demon. So. Yeah, that's god, that's, that's off the top of my head. One that that's I remember. Super fucking familiar. I'll uh, I'll tell one more about Toast, and then if you remember any, uh, you could give some more. But Toast, very similar to Alex, she extorts me for food in the middle of the night, doing almost the exact same thing. So if uh, if like their food bowl isn't like filled to the point where like it's the bottom isn't completely covered with food, toast won't eat. And so if it's like the middle of the night and it's like that, she's learned that if she quickly pokes me because I'm a side sleeper, if she pokes me in the back with her claws and like runs away, I'll like wake up and I'll be frustrated enough that I will like get up and feed her. Um, or she'll do things where she'll like, uh, poke the, you know how like door stops, if you like fuck with them enough and if you like pull them down, it'll like make a really awful noise. She used to be scared of it, but now she realized it's like loud, annoying enough a noise that like will get me up out of bed to like do things. (laughs) So she'll do that or she will take plastic bags and drag them around my apartment until like i'm like oh my god i can't stand the sound of like plastic bags going across my carpet at two in the morning so very similar to alex she has figured out different like actual ways to like wake me up and like uh get it to the point where i can't just ignore it anymore and actually get up and go feed these goddamn like these these terrorists you it's a great way to put it terrorists uh, right, like nine pound terrorists that just live with me so yeah it's it's unbelievable how uh how their behavior is so selfish and so self-oriented and we still give them so much affection like like i could die like tomorrow and sushi would wait four hours uh before he would start nibbling <laughs> at like my dead body i don't even i don't know if i would give him that long but Alex already bites the shit out of me, so it wouldn't take him long to figure it out. So, I was going to say, at one point you told us that Alex stalks you. Does he still do oh, yeah. that? Or, like, what's the backstory for that? He he doesn't do it anymore so much. I can get him to do it. But he used to just, you'd be in my apartment, and you'd, like, I'd be at my computer or something, and I'd, like, turn. And he'd be, like, just around a corner, like, leaning over, looking right at me. And he'd do that sort of thing. Or he'd do... And nowadays, you kind of have to prompt him because he sleeps a lot more. But I can very easily... If I just look at him and leave the room, and I'll look back, he'll do that, like, inching towards you thing. 
where like you, when you don't see him he moves up three feet and then when you turn he's just completely still um so he does that a lot to me which is pretty much anytime i look at him and don't pet him he'll do that to me because mostly i kind of do a thing where like anytime i see him i pet him i don't quite know why but it's a cat that's, that's what you do you know yeah that's fucking beautiful yeah it really is so I mean... and so he'll like pretty much it's literally stalking me um nowadays he throws himself in front of my feet he used to not be brave enough to do that so um yeah that's that's an example of that my last my last little one on that is that every single morning that i would wake up in milwaukee not so much in iowa actually but every single morning in milwaukee i would drag myself out of bed um take a shit because apparently in the morning I, I don't know why but like every every morning regardless if, if i went to bed at a normal time or if i went to bed at like three in the morning like blackout drunk i just have to take a shit like as soon as i wake up so i like throw myself in my toilet and my boxers are like splayed in between my legs and sushi will run up and like stick his face in like the dick hole of my boxers and he just like <laughs> squeezes his face through it while they're like around my knees what and it is fuck? the weirdest fucking thing but he will do it every single day without fail and i'm just like <laughs> dude there's no way it smells good there's no way like it's worth it to do this what are you doing but he would do that and like back his head out and like lie on my feet and like bite at them while I'm just sitting there and I'm like, you are taking advantage of me and this is not fair. And I hate it. I hate it. You fucking orange furball. But I did it back. Okay. And we're back. So next topic. You recently at, uh, I don't know if I, was, I, I, I don't exactly know the entire motivation behind it, but you've been getting swole like crazy this last year. Uh, you, we've talked a decent amount about it throughout the year about, uh, you getting into the gym and your routine and everything, but where did it come from exactly? Because I kind of like one day you just kind of told me you're like, oh hey, I'm going to the gym. Like, what do you like recommend starting some stuff with? Or like, had little questions about stuff, and it was awesome because obviously I am a big proponent of people like starting to use the gym. Shout out Matt. But uh, where did your motivation to actually start going regularly come from? So for me. The, I guess there was the initial intrigue was I kind of like to I'll, I'll go to hobbies slash topics I don't actually do and I'll get very invested in them and kind of I like to plan things out I don't know why but uh, so one of those was exercise where I'd like I said whatever through YouTube recommendations I was on exercise videos for like form or something or like routines and I just got very invested in it before I even started before I even went to the gym um, so that was kind of a fun aspect for me, was just kind of, I don't know if research is the right word, but doing research on it. And then, um, the, uh, one of the people I go to school with down here is super into fitness and is always encouraging me to like go exercise and do that sort of thing. Originally they were trying to get me to be a runner. Uh, thank God I'm not, but... Fuck that <laughs> right yeah. so that was that's yes. originally what i was doing and then i've like very quickly transitioned to to what i do now um so that's where that initial thing and i guess it was just kind of an intrigue thing for me and also the fact that um i i don't like the idea of being weak i guess 
and I felt like whenever I worked in the summer, I was strong. And then, like, the, the rest of the winter, I got, like, progressively weaker to the point where I was, like, uncomfortable with it. Um, just as, like, a mental thing. It feels good to, like, feel like you could defend yourself, for instance. Um, I was just about to ask. So is that, like, a primordial thing? Like, like in your in your reptilian or, like, caveman brain? My like, armed mind? I need, I, <laughs> your armed brain. Like, I need to feel a little bit strong so that I don't feel like a, a subhuman. Or was it just more like a... A like, sussy If I ever find, my, find myself... <laughs> If I find myself in a shady situation, I know I might not, like, just instantly die. There's a lot of it. I mean, it's also, like, um, you know, trying to make yourself more attractive is, like, a very obvious one. That wasn't massive, a huge one for massive. me. But, like, it was there, definitely. But I know for... That's, that's almost there for everybody. So, but, yeah, there's something in my... And it's, like, I wasn't I wasn't sitting there thinking about fighting people. Like, I wasn't sizing people up or anything. It was just, like, a general subconscious feeling that I had. Um... And recently, I fell off that track just with school and stuff, just you know, life. Um, and I went back yesterday, and I I am fucking blasted right now. Like, Megan punched my arm, and I swear I got shot by a bullet. It was the worst. <laughs> it was the worst feeling ever. It really is. Would you would you uh, have a little lapse, and then you start going back? The the soreness that you get. Oh yeah, it's again. in the tendons mainly for uh. me. Like, holy shit, my tendons are so fucking tender right now. And just, like, like that process of, um, like, waking up, like, the next day, and you're like, oh, my God, I cannot move, like, how I should normally be able to move. It's such an awful feeling, but, no, I know exactly what you mean. Uh, um, part of the reason I struggle to keep up with it is at least I, to me, like, well, obviously diet is super important, right? Um, and so if I, I, if I don't have a good diet at the time, it kind of makes me think the exercise is worthless sort of thing is like where my mind goes. Um, and that'll also like you feel shitty if you eat bad and being in Texas oh now, there's so much fast food. So I'll like, like if I go to, if I do a late night taco bueno run, I'm not going to go to the gym the next morning. Like. I'll shit myself. That's not going to happen. <laughs> and so that's how it starts for me. Where, like, I'll have, like, two or three days in a row of eating shitty and then feeling too bad to, like, go exercise. So. I see. But with those two or three days, you've been able to go back, right? Like, after after some time. Even, yeah. if, even if there are, like, little lapses. Yeah. yeah. So I was just about to ask, what has been – like, how have you been able to actually stay consistent? Is it actually that mindset of like, like, noticing positive changes and like being being more driven by that, or has it been like uh, maybe the opposite side where you're like, I don't want to go back to like where I was before and I don't want to lose the things? Is it more like, I should say, is it is it positively influenced or is it like the <laughs> the fear of reverting back to your pre like getting into the gym stage? For me, it's definitely more of the losing progress thing, or wanting to progress, I guess. Um, sorry, I said that backwards. It's the wanting to progress is what intrigues me. Um, once you're in it, for me, it's just just that little bit of improvement. You know, the gamer mindset drives you to exercise. Very based. But the that, that is it for me. Jimbo, like, you gotta turn that mindset into a grindset. Grindset. <laughs> um, so that's... I guess that's the main one for me 
what if it's a long hiatus, it's getting back into that original not wanting to feel shitty. But just for short ones, it's very much or just going regularly. The the motivation is very much improvement for me. So, in in that same vein, have how nice is it to see to like both see physical gains and then like feel actual gains and in like the realization of like more weight that you can move from that, your that's a super so good far. feeling um you feel like i don't know like when i pass certain benchmarks like i'll message you on discord be like hey i think i did that once I'm like hey i did this and it's just like a very it's, it's something that's very cool to like have that feeling of and especially when it's like round numbers or like when you hit 45 plates and that sort of thing it's like always those sorts of things feel different even though it's just you know adding still adding weight but i was gonna say sometimes it feels arbitrary but god damn it like the round it's, numbers it's, oh yeah thank god for that but like even even more than that to like to be able to say like holy shit i've come like this far from where i started or like see physical like actual physical changes to your body it's oh, kind yeah. of i don't know for for me when i first started getting into lifting it was like kind of an unbe- unbelievable <laughs> feeling and that's why i've stuck with it for a while but it's ah god damn it it it's just one of the best i don't know it's it's like one of the best things you could ever do for yourself and oh, yeah uh, do you want to know the, the biggest one of those for me in terms of like noticing it with your body fuck yes yes was when i figured Hell. out how to do the pack bounce that was like <laughs> the biggest fucking thing for me i was like what the fuck oh my god that was that was, that was intense so i i expect this i expect a video of that later sometime though, oh of course that god that shit's so much fun um perfect all right i need i need before we move on to the next thing i need one good gym story i i'll i'll give you two quick ones because you can pick you can you can pick whatever you need to but like I have a very wholesome one, and then I have a kind of funny one. But uh, my wholesome one, last summer during the pandemic, because Iowa didn't give a shit about COVID, I worked at a gym. And this one guy, from like the day I started working to the day I left, came in every single day. And he was, like in May when I started working, he was a little bit uh, of a portly dude, had a lot of uh, extra weight to lose. And by the end of July, right before I left for Milwaukee, the guy had lost 60 pounds in two months and was like, like kind of like almost jacked. Like it was insane to watch his like his physical transformation every single day because he would go like he would he would just come in, you know, talk, you know, talk to us since he knew us get like do all of his shit. And then he'd be like, all right, like back on the grind tomorrow and we're like yeah, of course and seriously like i he didn't even look like the same person if you saw like a picture of him from oh. like may to like the end of july and it was so fucking cool to watch that is cool and then my and then my funny story back in high school uh we had our like high school weight like high school weight room or whatever and if you had um if you like didn't have a class during the day during like one of the one of like the like class hours uh, our gym teacher, if he liked you enough, would like open up the weight room so you could go lift. And I went up there with a couple other people who had free hour or a free hour during that time too. And one of those guys is now a D1 football player, and he was up there with his girlfriend and I at the time. We were only, we were the only ones in the room, and he was doing back squats. And he was like, "Hey, her name was Marin." He was like, "Hey, Marin, like, can you load up like this other side of the back squat like for me while I like." get ready to do it 
uh, and he wanted he was about to do like three plates, uh, three forty fives uh, for this back squat, and he puts his on his side, and she only puts two on hers or on like her side of like the, the bar that she was about to put on or that he was squatting, and uh, probably because she like misheard or something, and he like takes it off the rack and immediately starts like leaning off towards the left like his you know the heavier side and he's like wait what the fuck and like before he can like finish his thing it seriously looked like a thing out of a cartoon where like he's holding it on to like he's still holding it with his back but he like 90 degree tips down to like where the bar is and like his feet come off the ground and he's still holding the bar so she's like parallel with the ground uh as this bar is completely like vertical and he like <laughs> he like lets go of it falls and is ever like completely fine nothing nothing happened the bar falls down to the ground and uh he like looks up and he's like uh yeah we're done here and he just like leaves and they broke up <laughs> oh my god the games are too important it was the most it was like the most ridiculous spontaneous thing i've ever seen i'm glad he didn't fuck up his back i yeah no it was amazing he didn't get hurt it was absolutely amazing but he like he literally looked at her and he was like yeah we're done like no more and just like walked out it was unreal unlike anything i've ever fucking seen before and uh I don't know. I've seen some weird shit in the gym, but most of the time it's just people not knowing how to use machines or like do certain things. And I don't like to, I, I don't know. That always is more like a, Oh, like go offer advice, go show them how to do it sort of thing rather than just like sit and laugh at them. So I don't have that many other funny stories from the gym, but I would love to hear uh, if you have any recent ones. Yeah. I can give you a, I mean, it's varieties. I can give you. A, I got a wholesome one, and I got a, a self-deprecating one. We're gonna go with both. Oh boy! So okay. a wholesome let's, one. Let's, let's hear them. Back, when I hit. I was going to a YMCA near where I live in Wisconsin, up at Nina, and uh, shout out Nina. Shout out Nina, and uh, that YMCA that we were at. There's like a uh, a father. There's like a a group of old gym dudes, you know, out in the suburbs, like. Then they all like lift and compare and stuff. And this one guy brings his son, who must be like 16 or something. And it's really fucking cool because they were like, the the kids obviously like growing and getting bigger. And he like always goes for like you know important plate numbers and counts and that sort of thing. And like everyone in the group fucking hypes him up. It, it's super wholesome. So that's a good story I have. Oh, um, uh, I I those videos and like just seeing people in the gym that are like, like like the really fucking massive people in the gym that are like hyping up like pretty much anyone else that is there it's such a good feeling because like they're like they're the, they're the alphas in the room mm-hmm. and like everybody knows that or like just the stronger people in general when they're nice and they're like fuck yes like good shit when like you're struggling to put up like a bar with a five on it on each side like <laughs> it feels it's it's awesome it's definitely so awesome yeah and then the second one was uh, a little fill my own i was um I think it was the very first time I went in to try bench pressing. Um, I, like, loaded... I was loading plates or something. And I made the decision... People had told me, like, don't put clips when you do barbells, just in case you fail so you can, like, slide them off the sides, right? Well, I didn't see that the clips I didn't put on were, like, kind of on these hooks on the weight rack. 
and there were those long spring clips, right? So when I went down, when I unracked and went um, down with the bar, I hit one of them because I didn't realize it was hooked there. And it really threw me off, and, like, a couple plates fell off of the left side of the bar. And then I, like, steadied it, and I was, like, because it wasn't that much weight. I was, like, sitting. It was enough that it's, like, I couldn't really move, but, like, I wasn't, you know what I mean? And I was just kind of sitting there, and I was, I didn't say anything. And I was just, like, staring at it, and I was trying to figure out if I had the balance to, like, re-rack it and fix it. And then some guy across from me noticed and, like, kind of like, oh, he put his stuff down and he came over to help me. And then as he's coming, I lose my balance again. And, like, if they start falling off and he just, like, waves his hands at me, like, fuck this. And then just, like, turns back to what he was doing as the plates and the plates all fall off. I was like, okay, cool. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) That's awful. That's shitty. I'm sorry. I get why he did, because he couldn't have helped, so, like, I got it. But it was, like, it was so, it was the first time I did it, so it was, like, the worst. But I just, I fixed it, and it just kept going, so. I was gonna say, good for you for keep, for doing that shit, because a lot of people wouldn't. Um, I've, I've two, that reminded me of two very similar things. But I, like, okay, I will say, in your case, please, God, use clips because oh, yeah. shit like that like i i i don't know who told you to not use clips and like sometimes <laughs> it's okay, like like in the in the idea of like a safety measure of like hey if it's too much weight like just spring it i get that but for everything else please god use clips because there for <laughs> I, I i definitely do that now it was i was ill-advised okay, thank you yeah uh, uh uh disclaimer here please anyone actually listening to this the 11 people please fucking use clips when you use barbells all right um, it's cringe, bro. <laughs> so, when I was at Carthage, I was lifting kind of late one night, and I was there with someone else who lived on my dorm hall. I didn't know him that well, but, like, just well enough to, like, you know, I knew his name, I knew a little bit about him, and, like, you know, if you walk by him in the hall, like, you give him a quick, like, cool little head nod and that sort of thing. Um, and I was using a machine right in front of treadmills and he was running on the treadmills and he was like probably like eight miles into like his run and i know that he had worked out like earlier during the day because this guy was like a crazy body bodybuilder and all of a sudden i see him take one misstep where his foot was like half on the belt and half like on just like the stationary part of the treadmill and he like slips and fucking eats it like oh i'm talking God. like face plant onto the treadmill and he, his, like, body falls onto it, and it gets shot off because, like, <laughs> he's on a treadmill. And he, like, throws him off. And, like, thank God. Thank God. It was, like, 15 minutes until the gym closed. There were maybe two other people in there, and nobody saw him except for me because I was staring, like, right at him as it happened. And he gets up, and he looks at me, and he's like, fuck this. And he just, like, walks out. <laughs> I saw him the next day, and I was like, like hey like you okay that looked like that shit hurt and he's like yeah i'm good uh it's a good thing i'm transferring at the end of this semester too because i never <laughs> want to like use that gym again <laughs> i god it was so fucking funny um obviously he knew what he was doing and he was okay but it was it was a goddamn blast <laughs> and uh second one similar self-deprecating one um I played soccer in college for two years and then I stopped because of a combination of injuries, not being that good and realizing school is more important. And, uh, when I quit, I took like 
two months off of going to the gym and i started eating like shit so i gained a decent amount of weight first time i went back uh i was wearing like some like old athletic shirt i had and i tried like i went up to do pull-ups and literally the first one my shirt like pops up on me and i look at myself and i was like oh god like i look <laughs> awful and i can barely do these pull-ups and i'm in a crowded gym and this is a bad look and so i dropped out and i looked and i was like you know what that's enough for today and i just left after five <laughs> minutes of being there so yeah it it fucking happens bad gym days just happen oh I, i'm very you know, easily tilted uh, like if i go in and there's like a specific like bench or like machine I want to use, and I go in and it's taken. I'll just leave and go home, or like go to lunch. <laughs> I'm just oh done. So, if if like in the in my Milwaukee situation, Marquette's gym, uh, during Corona, you had to like walk up and like uh sign up for these different pods that had different um like machines or like uh racks or like you know dumbbells in them, and so some days I would get there. And I would walk up and I would see that everything was just filled. Or like if I wanted to do a certain day and I looked and I like just wasn't going to be able to do it, I'd be like, fuck it. And I just walk down and just go play basketball and then leave. Because like it's <laughs> just it's that sort of thing. Because like some days you just don't want to go to the gym, but you know like you should. So you drag yourself there and any minor inconvenience is just that much more like that much more staggering for you. And it sucks. It just sucks. Yeah. All right, that's enough about exercise. We're gonna get into some, some interesting, I'll, uh, a few more interesting things here. This is this is probably the this is the last real shit thing I'm gonna ask you about. But you are living away from Wisconsin for the first time ever, unless I'm drastically mistaken. But uh, oh, that's correct. Not only not only are you living away from Wisconsin for the first time, you are living like what I presume is a little more than a thousand miles away from Wisconsin. Oh yeah. So we're going to talk a little bit about that because you're like, I, I used to think of myself, uh, you know, living in Eastern Iowa and then going to Milwaukee, like it was a decent ways away. And then even you from like the, you know, suburbs of Appleton and the, and like Nina, like essentially it, it, how I felt about it was that you're always like a weekend away from home. Right. Like, you could go back if you needed to for a little while. It was a decent drive. Uh, you didn't. You felt like you were detached, but not like, not like, you know, you were at arm's length essentially from your parents. So it was a little bit of a different dynamic. But now, like you are living, you know, you're 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 your own strong, independent man now. So I wanted to ask you, what were some of the significant challenges of this at first? Because there's no way. I, I, uh, there's, there's, I haven't experienced this fully myself, but there's no way it came super easy at first. So were there anything, was there any like specific things that were really challenging to get over at first living in Dallas compared to Milwaukee or Nina? Yeah, it would be, so, you know, when I lived in Milwaukee or something, my parents would come up maybe every other week or something like that, just to, like have lunch and, you know, talk and stuff. And when you have that, like, intermittent conversation, they, like, ask you things about your life, you know, and like, they go into your apartment, and they, like, they'll note, I realized that they were scoping things out and, like, realizing what I was fucking up on. So, like, my mom would be like, oh, you need this. Or, like, this is happening, you need to do this. 
And I didn't realize how much help that was, because now that I'm in Texas, like, shit will just go wrong. Like, I, it won't be caught early. Like, with my car, I let my car sit too long, and, like, I, I knew, like, if you, to, if you told me in hindsight, be like, oh, like, how long do you think you should let your car sit? And it would have not have been how long I left it, and it just kind of let it get away from me. And it just wouldn't fucking start, because I needed a new battery. So, like, that's that's an example of, like, a big fuck-up of just not keeping on top of things like I should. Um, so, in, like, even, like, weird extraneous, or, like, extraneous paperwork or something, like, let's say you need to, like, sign or, like, agree to something by a certain date. Like, I forget that shit. I don't know why. It just doesn't stick. Whereas if I talk to someone and tell them of it, they'll ask me about it later and it'll remind me. So that was probably the biggest adjustment for me. Um... Also, like you had mentioned, it's the whole, you know, an afternoon's drive away thing versus, like, having to take a flight. It's a huge thing. Like, if shit hits the fan or something goes wrong on either end, it's not like the other person can be there super quickly with very little inconvenience. It's, it's, it's like, an ordeal. So, I guess that's that would a, be that's the a main big fuck. I was going to say, that's a big fucking thing because, like, it's no longer a quick text and, like, hey, like... Uh, if something comes up, I can just come home or like, you know, for like holidays, you're like, oh, you know, I'll, I'm going to, you know, throw my, throw my backpack and, you know, my hamper full of dirty clothes in my car and drive home. It's like, you have to schedule out with your parents. Like, oh, am I flying back? Are we driving and taking like two days to make the, you know, crazy fucking road trip? Like it's, it's significantly harder. So, uh, even like transporting Alex was a big thing. That's just cause, right. And that was like early how... enough in it was early enough in Corona that that was still like a very sketch thing to do to get on a plane, like way before vaccine or anything. <laughs> and that's right, I forgot. So that was like a very like it was a borderline sketchy thing. Like my parents like probably shouldn't be on a flight. It was like the, the current sentiment, um, as far as I gauged it. And so like we had to drive him down, and then that gets into the whole difficulty of driving with a cat for sixteen hours and all like. The, the extra things you have to do and like how you have to like stop at a hotel if you don't do it in one go and you have to like let the cat out in the hotel and then try and get it back in its cage which was really fucking difficult because it knew it was so up. i was just i was just about to say i'm about to do that uh it'll be it'll be a 10 hour drive for me uh which we both experienced but uh i'm about to do cross-country trip with my own cats for the first time here in august and any experience any pointers you have i would gladly appreciate them actually yeah so i would definitely get them a carrier where they have a so we didn't have them loose because cats you know they can be don't do don't do well in cars like that oh yeah yeah they, they might fuck with you sort of thing or they might like jump down you know like you don't know what's gonna happen um might start tearing that shit like cardboard and paper, you know. Um, so I would avoid this. So make sure they're in a cage, but have a box in there. And you can just buy disposable litter boxes. Like, that's what we did, where they're just kind of like, you just use them for the car trip and you just throw them out. It's way easier than, like, having the box and having to, like, scoop it, like, at a hotel or something. Um, yep, I know what you're talking about. And also just the mess associated with that. So, like, I would recommend that. And then we got our cat, like... So my my parents are rather conservative, and but one thing they're super into is like hemp for their animals. So 
Wait, like, really? Do- <laughs> yeah, our dog <laughs> Wally. Never, I can't believe you've never told us this before. Our dog Wally has like super anxiety and shit like that. So and nothing really works. We don't want to like get prescription meds for him or something because that just doesn't sound healthy, and it would be expensive, right? Because it's a dog. And so then we just my mom one day just like brought home hemp chewy toy or like treats, and he she gave him like two and he was good. So, but he, he builds up a tolerance. So, like, you could give him, like, 12 of those things that would have knocked him out in the past, and he just shrugs it off. And, <laughs> like, he is so, he's, like, stoned all the time. He gets one a day, at least, with his breakfast. And then, like, if there's any, if there's anything he has to do, or if he's, like, acting too anxious, he just gets more weed. It's so fucking cool. So he's, like, always stoned. And... Um, it kind of worked on Alex. It depends on the stress. So, like, with mild... We had, like, a, a mild stress trip or something, or, like, for a short time. It definitely... we got You can get, like, sprays, which I don't think work, but... Uh, and then mainly we just, like, mix tuna up with this, like, CBD treat thing. And, uh, that seems to help. So I would try that, but, uh, give it to them before you go, just in case they throw up from it. Like, make sure they throw up at your house rather than in your car. Ah, that's a good point. Okay. So any, if you're going to, even with, like, any medication you're going to use, do, like, a trial run at home, just so you're, like, familiar with how they react. I gotcha. No, that's, okay. That is a good idea. I see what you mean. Um, well, damn. All right. I'll probably ask you more about that, like, as I'm leaving for it, but that's good to know. I actually, as far as, as far as some of the challenges of moving from home, uh, seems like you dealt with it rather well. On the flip side, did you have any, I, like, you can do, I, I was looking for unexpected positives, but just any, any, like, blatant, like, immediate good things that came out of it. So, like, for instance, uh, it can be as simple as, like, holy shit, I get to go to fucking Taco Bueno now. Or or it can be, it can it's go so as drastic as, like, <laughs> it can be as drastic as, like, so, like, changes to your, like, day-to-day or, like, long-term lifestyle or, like, your, the, any sort of growth in, like, your mindset or outlook. Like, have you noticed anything that, uh, well, obviously, you know, you went through a massive change in your life and you're going through, like, the most intensive study process in your life right now, but just from moving to and living in a completely different part of the country, what have some of the positives that have come out of that been for you? Uh, what you what you mentioned is definitely something, and that can be expanded upon. So just the food in general was has been super cool. Um, that's when we when you guys visit. That's one like one of the main things I want to do is like literally just go to this really sketchy taco place with a bunch of homeless people outside. That is Fuck, yes, so, I'm so excited for that. you get chicharron tacos, which is like. It's like pork rind tacos, as weird as that sounds, but it is so good. It's like crunchy pork tacos is what it feels is like, and oh my god, it's delicious. Aww. And they have like they have these this, so these sauces that they make every single day, like on site, and so every day they're like a different slight color. Um, but there's always a green and a reddish one, and oh my god, the red one fucking kills you. Um, so. The food in general is cool, but even beyond that, just the entire, like, exposure to new things is super cool. Um, so, obviously, out of our friend group, we're all kind of Midwestern, right? Like, the furthest away would be Kansas. 
in terms of, which is still Midwest, but like not Northern Midwest. So culturally we're all yeah. very similar. And that's kind of the case for most people to me. It's like you have a very, maybe Marquette's a little different cause it kind of like draws people from the South. But, um, in general, you're like dealing with people who are very much like you. Um, and since I moved down here in terms of just frequency of meeting very different people has definitely gone up. Like the baseline purpose or the baseline person here is not similar to where I'm from, which has been very interesting. And I don't know if culture shock is the right word, but I think that's kind of what I go with is just the, there's so many more diverse people that I don't know. Perspective shift. Yeah. Like the things in like, you take for given is just different, which is like a very weird thing to comprehend. It's like, oh, like I can't, you can't, certain things that you could rely on as like a common reference or like thought process just don't work. And it's very strange when it happens. No, of course. Like you're, it makes the, you realize, you're the alien. Yeah. yeah. It makes you realize that that's but, like a very intrinsic thing to you and not like a general rule. Yes, of course. Like you, you realize very quickly that you're the alien in that, in that sort of yeah. sense. And I got a very like, to, albeit lesser version of that experience when I finally moved up to Milwaukee because it's the first time I ever lived in like an actual like city for once in my life. Yeah, and I felt a little bit. Of, I was gonna say it was fucking awesome, and I'm excited to hopefully never live in rural places again until I have like many children or something. But uh, it, it you're right in that like you you get accustomed to certain like habits, certain routines that like everybody that you're around also follows. So when you're thrown out of your element, you're like, Oh, like these people are all, are all doing this and it's kind of fucking weird. And, uh, I guess like I got to pick up on that trend too, or learn like this, you know, this, this method of thinking or this way of doing things, or like at least understand why everybody else does it. It's, it is a crazy transition. Um, can I give you an example of a weird, like, difference yeah, that was brought to my attention? Okay, very specific reference. I don't know. I don't know why we're on this topic, but I was talking to to uh, Brooke, and we were on the topic of cross dressing for some reason. And she said that if you like, if you were a dude and you put a skirt on and like walked around in Dallas, like people would kill you. Is pretty much what she said. And she's kind of right. Like, the, the atmosphere is just, like, different. Whereas, like, you could do that in Milwaukee. And, like, you know, you'd be, like, probably harassed or something. But, like, nothing bad would happen to you. And that's, like, something you that's, get... like... It's, like, I'm very certain about that, right? Like, in my head, that's what it is. And it's, like, the fact that, like, something that's that, like, intrinsic is different down here is very strange. That is very interesting. Because, like, yeah, and, Mil- like, you're right. Milwaukee, like guys would probably ask you for your number but that's interesting so it's like because i know obviously texas is a historically conservative state but like even most large cities like usually they're you know democratic or like more liberal leaning like havens but really like it's it's that sort of it's that sort of seriousness that sort of just uh that sort of mindset about it there yeah, I, I think, and obviously that's not to say that's everyone down here, but like it is a proportion of the population, which that's just not a thing up in Milwaukee, as far as I'm aware. Or maybe the proportion is just so small, it's like non-existent. Um, of course, but that's damn, that's super interesting. And it's just, it's just like a bunch of tiny things like that, where like if you really think about it, you realize that you're not on common ground 
Um, yeah, and it's especially true with like our friend group. Where, like all of our like our re- we do the same school, we do similar jobs, we're from similar areas, so we can very make easily make references that other people will understand. That's just like not the case. Oh, it's it's strange to me. You ain't in Kansas anymore, Toto. All right. Yeah. Last last thing on this then. What was the moment you kind of realized you could survive down there? Like you were going to you were going to make it and you were going to be okay. Like impending qualifiers, you know, to be to be determined. I think you're going to do fine on them. You're you're a smart, capable person. But as far as like living kind of far away and like just being in an unfamiliar area, did you have like a specific moment that you knew like, oh, like I can do this, I'll be okay? Or was it just kind of gradual like and eventually you settled into your area and you got your routine established and that sort of thing? Uh, no, it was, uh, it was a very like distinct moment for me. And it was kind of following a day. I had like a bunch of errands to run essentially. So I was out in the city a lot. And it was a lot of like very normal things to do. And I think, I think it was the night I came home from that. I was like thinking about what I did that day. And it kind of hit me like, oh, I'm like in a different area. And I just like comfortably navigated a day, right? Like a shit ton to do. And that kind of, that was it for me. It was a very like stark moment that I recall. It was not a gradual thing. That is, that is some real shit though. Cause like, if you are in an unfamiliar environment, but you have a lot to do and you get it all done, you feel a lot better about yourself. Right. It's like, like I, is, I just literally survived. Awesome. Like, I had, I was tested, very literally, to, like, do things. Also, the whole, like, winter storm thing may have contributed to that. Because, like, when the state was in crises, and, like, I, I did just fine. So that was... Ah, that's that right, was you, you literally you literally survived a, uh, a definition, uh, like, national emergency down there. So, yeah. kudos to you, you deserve credit. <laughs> I felt, I had such a big head that week it was like i'm like oh I'm, I'm from wisconsin like this is normal you people are silly <laughs> i had that i like in my head the entire week like non-jokingly i was just like you guys are fucking idiots like i'd see a water main that was like on the surface made of plastic i'm like you fucking idiots like what do you expect <laughs> And that was, like, my entire, every, and I was just looking around, like, seeing, like, so many car accidents, and, like, there's this huge pile up and stuff, and, like, we had, like, our parents texting us if we were okay, because it was, like, a hundred-some car pile up or something. It's, like, that's so fucking dumb. I don't know. Just drive slower, forehead. No, that's super funny. That's fucking awesome. I, I'll quickly, my, the moment, you know what, I'll ask you for yours, too, but... Um, same deal but for Milwaukee obviously it's a little bit different because it's not like you know states and states and states away from home but it is a new it is a new environment and a new thing so I imagine you might have had a moment in Milwaukee too mine was uh, it was during my first semester at Marquette I was in microeconomics Uh, Matt and I along with Mo and a couple other people that we all know had just taken our first micro exam and i remember uh meyer our professor had just dropped the you know but in the in the review session before this exam he dropped the don't worry just study up there's gonna be no surprises 
which was a bunch of bullshit because no the exam was super, super fucking hard and there were plenty of surprises and it was it was ridiculous and i remember i was i was the first of like our little group that like of like GAs that you know huddled down in the basement office uh to like finish and i went down there and i was so pissed i was so upset i was like oh my god like i i know i did not do super well and uh i started like i i have this problem where right after i like i'll take an exam uh i'll finish it i'll turn it in and then i'll immediately want to like check my notes and like check all the practice problems to see like okay did i like fuck up this exact thing do i want to like like uh how did i do on this sort of thing i i like to go back and immediately look at that which i which is not really the healthiest thing because that it just i don't know if you if you realize you fuck something up it just feels really bad um and you can never know for certain but i started doing that matt came down and he was also pretty pissed because he was like what the fuck like that was ridiculous like <laughs> uh thanks for the thanks for the no surprises meyer and mo came down and she was like on the verge of like you know dropping out in her sense and it was so you know ironically comforting that like everyone in our class shared the same sentiment of like oh my god we're all you know terrible at what we do and it was awful and i remember that night or at the end of that at once we all kind of convened and calmed ourselves down we walked over to caffrey's and got a drink and then immediately right after that we walked over to we walked over to Tangled, our favorite Chinese place, and got and got food to make ourselves feel better. And I went home that night, and I was thinking, you know, I was like, you know, even if I really fuck up, even even if like this school shit is really hard, I at least have other people that I can like lean on and like survive this thing with. So that was it. Took it took a little while, but that was definitely the moment in Milwaukee I knew I was like, okay, like I can I can survive this. I can ride this shit out no matter how bad it gets. <laughs> Did you have something like that in Milwaukee, or yeah, was yeah. it more notable in Dallas? It was more notable in Dallas, but it kind of happened in Milwaukee. Um, for me, it was – it took me a while. It was, like, that last semester I was there where um, I was, like, writing my thesis and playing an inordinate amount of video games <laughs> and, like, sleeping, like, purely nocturnally. My social contact was, like, when I would, like, wake up, text you guys at 6 p.m. on a Friday <laughs> – which to me, I was like, "Hey, you guys oh, want to get breakfast?" Yo, yo, I didn't say yo that. Brady Street. Yeah, really I was just like Brady, Brady Street. Seven p.m. on a Friday. Empanadas. Yeah. <laughs> like, so that was. <laughs> I... <laughs> 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 can, can the podcast hear what Matt just said? Uh, no, Matt. Okay, I need to reiterate but... one thing. Matt, Matt just chimed in and told a funny story. <laughs> Was the when I saw him, I saw him one morning and it was something along the lines of him asking what, if I was up. Correct me if I'm wrong, Matt. <laughs> answer. It was always gave such an extreme answer that it wasn't lying. It was just always literal. It was like I was up for 14 hours, or like closer to the end of the thesis, like oh I've been up for like literally three days. And it's like it's always something super extreme. And I had such an unhealthy lifestyle. I would okay, so I was a, a caricature, and I fucking survived. I would, I had two forms of food, right? It would be I'd wake up in mornings where I thought it was gonna be productive, and I would walk all the way to that Pakistani food place in downtown. 
I'd sit oh there. Oh my god. I'd watch Netflix on my phone and eat that shit, pound it down. I get two, I get extra, extra naan, you know, and I'd I'd eat it, right? And I have my coke, and then I just like put it down, and then I would uh, I'd head. I'd, like, walk home, but sometimes I'd take detours for, like, no fucking reason. I'd be like, oh, I want to see the lake today. And I would just walk in that direction. And it's, like, it's like hours of walking sometimes at the most extreme. But most of the time it would be, like, an hour. And then I'd, like, come home, do whatever I had to do that day. And then I had... That was in the daytime. I would get food like that. At nighttime, though, I would, like, come down at, like, 2 a.m., head down to 7-Eleven, right? And... I get harassed by like the same fucking people every night, like all the, the homeless people and shit. And then wow. I would get my, I'd always go for, I needed something salty, right? So I'd get like a funyun or something. And then I needed something sweet or chocolatey. So I'd get like Ben and Jerry's whatever, like fudge, whatever thing. And then I'd get a two liter of Coke and I could take that home. And that would be like my other meal of the day. <laughs> and then I would stay up for like eight. I'd stay up for like twelve hours playing video games, and then morning would come, and then I'd fucking stalk Matt. That was like a given day of like my life for that time period. And you survived it. So it was surreal. It was like long. weeks that's on crazy. end of that, like exact same thing. So okay, this is follow up question to that. How did you break that mental cycle? Like, obviously, you went home for, like, the summer and, like, worked with your parents' business and everything before you went off to Dallas. Did you, like, did you do, like, mental rehab, like, this last summer? Like, that went along with it? do kind of. I need, like, a few days to, like, adjust myself to new scenarios. So, like, approaching the thesis. The thesis is what stopped it, if I remember correctly, or it was moving home. It was one of the two. It was pretty much, like, I was aware that, like, in three days or so, this, like, wouldn't cut it. So then I, this is the worst part of the process. It's like you either have to go to sleep early, which is impossible for me, or you got to stay up later. So you get like two to three really long days in a row to like readjust yourself. And then you have to like eat healthy and like go to the grocery store and cook and stuff just to get yourself like mentally prepared. Um, So you do, it's very much like a necessity thing. It's like, I can't do this today because I have to do X thing tomorrow or I'm screwed. And that's what kicks you out of it. It's just necessity. Um, definitely for me, going from summer back to school was really rough this time. I'm also experiencing the greatest senioritis of my life because I've been going to school for like 20 fucking years or something, I don't know. <laughs> and I like just realized that the other day as I was like putting in a long day of shit. And I was, like, fucking sick. It was one of the COVID shot days, so I was, like, in a bad mood. Ah, uh, fuck, And I was, like, yeah. I was like sick, and I had a ton of work to do, and I had, like, a really bad test or something coming up. Where was I going with this? You were telling us oh. that it was it was senioritis and oh, yeah. uh, how, how to done. break your how to break your cycle. I was just yeah. done with that shit. Still, I'm kind of experiencing that, but a lot of it's most of the time it is just necessity. Like, right now, my sleep isn't super fucked up because I know I have to be up in the morning for, like, a super important thing in a week. So it is just, like, you do it until, as for me at least, I do it until I can't anymore, and then in circumstances, just literally rip you out of it. God, it's beautiful. Okay. You are you are a unique human being. Thank to you. To say the least. All right. Um, 
fuck we are almost at two hours there's a few more things i was going to get into but we're going to wait for another another version of this podcast so we're going to wrap this up i do this with everybody i have just a couple just like fun things we're going to wrap it up with and for you i want you to think about a couple of very fun stories you had you that you might have already told us or you might not have about growing up with pat and nate and just the entire like you were the younger brother in that entire in that dynamic and i'm sure you guys got into some weird shit (laughs) that you guys that that the trio of you did and uh uh take a second to think about it i'm gonna tell one of my stories with my siblings and then uh we'll get into yours so uh the first time that i ever heard henry who is my younger brother of five years swear was i think i was i was like 13 or 14. no i was 14 because i was in high school and my dad used to go on these really long walks around our small town uh before we moved out to the middle of nowhere and he was out probably like three miles away from our home one day and a really nasty like midwest you know spring summer storm rolled in and at the time my brother was deathly like anxiety induced afraid of bad storms and so he starts freaking the hell out and my mom's not home my dad's not home Uh, my mom's like like i think she was like states away for a conference or something like that my dad's just like out in the middle fucking like god knows where and he comes up and he's like hey luke like where's dad and he's like nine years old at this point and i'm like chill out like he'll be back home in a little bit like i know it's starting to rain but like don't worry like it's everything's gonna be all right and he's like okay fine and then like two minutes later it starts raining crazy hard and like uh, we start to see some lightning and like the sty- sky starts to get dark. And he's like, Luke, like we need to get dad back right now. <laughs> and I was like, dude, like it's fine. He's going to be back in like a few minutes. And then like, we'll probably head down to our basement and it's, it's going to be okay. I, I promise. And he's like, he's like steaming. Like, like you can, you can like visually see the anger coming out of his ears at this rate. And then like, five more minutes pass and this like this storm you know how like some storms like it literally goes from like day to night it almost feels like how how dark it gets outside and it's like black outside the only it's so windy that like the only noise you can hear is like the trees rippling and like wind hitting your windows and like it's starting to hail and uh and it's just such hard rain and he's freaking the hell out he comes up and it's like luke where the fucking hell is dad <laughs> I like I turn around at him and I'm like, "What did you just say to me?" Because he's he's like actually nine years old and like you know I was the older I was the older brother. My parents were pretty young, so like they are always like super protective about like uh you know um like PG shit around me. So I I didn't grow up with a lot of swearing. My brother really didn't either. My sister, on the other hand, like they just kind of didn't care by the time she got here. Uh. But it was, like, so startling to hear. And I was like, dude, like, what is wrong with you right now? Like, it's a a storm. We're in a house. We are in literal shelter. Like, it's not going to kill us. Hold on. And then all of a sudden, I see my dad, like, round the corner to our house, absolutely fucking soaked. And he's like, he looks super pissed off as he's, like, power walking back into our house. 
and he gets in and he's like damn some weather we're having and my brother is like sobbing like <laughs> like one cat so <laughs> and it's like obviously it was a little traumatic for him but uh it was so it was so unbelievably funny at the time to just like like watch the watch the breakdown damn some weather we're having and like, I, I say that now and it sounds so bad but i talk about him with i talk about it with him now and he's like oh my god i was such a little bitch about that sort of stuff it was just a storm and like uh i don't know it was it was an interesting it was an interesting uh like uh family dynamic at the time so you know what's weird that's one of them but yes uh what's weird that that, that same guy in that story Where's he at now? Wait, that same guy? My oh, my my brother is now in in London, uh, living four thousand miles from home at a Royal Air Force base. Yes, right. It's, uh, That's the same kid he, from the story. Yes, I I know. Life life hits you across the face really fucking hard sometimes. It's crazy. Uh, so I have a couple stories like that relating to. Him, Relating to Nate and Patrick and that uh, that strange trio, um, so for context, Patrick is my brother, two years older than me, and Nate is directly between us in age. So like I'll be three, Nate's four, Patrick's five, that sort of thing, and literally from those days I just said like when I was like four years old and Nate was five. Maybe even a little before that, Nate, like, came over into my backyard and, like, played with me. And, like, since then, we'd always, like, hang out at different ages. So there's a lot of weird shit that happens, right? The old the old dynamics of the yard. So our yard was the one that we always... Yeah. The yard. Because, well, we'd always play in my yard. Because my mom, like, really liked the idea of having the yard where kids played. Um, so she, like, we could, like, fuck the yard up if we wanted to, so long as it wasn't, like, egregious. And even then, like, we'd get a slap on the wrist. Like, we'd literally, like, dig trenches sometimes, like, weird stuff like that. <laughs> and we played, like, these, these empire games, what we called them, which was Patrick was the emperor. And he, like, you were his slaves, essentially, and he'd, like, order you around, and we, you built shelters, like, teepees and stuff. And we, like, pretended to eat bark. And we like make weapons. <laughs> okay, our EU four and Hoi four games make a lot more sense. Right, now. it's just like very. <laughs> Patrick is is the emperor, no matter how you look at it. Like it's just a given. Uh, anyways, and so one of these iterations, like we were always doing weird, crafty things with sticks and like snow and like fortifications and building and stuff like that. And one of these very early years. It was like a the a, a, the very nice like you know uh, pu- like heavy snow snowstorm that left like the best snow for like snowballs or making anything you know because like different qualities to it. Um, and this was like the best. This is top tier quality, right? And they built like this fort, right? And I hadn't I was like tired, little, so I was like sleeping or something. And I came out to them having like built this huge fort. And, like, oh come on, William, go stand on top of it. Get, take a look around because it was like a big platform at the top of this base and I <laughs> I climbed up there with great effort it was like it was like seriously fucking tall like they, they built a huge thing considering how old they were and I got to the top and stepped on it and th- those assholes had taken pine branches right and laid them across like a pit that they built up there and then covered it with snow so you couldn't see it so it just looked like solid snow and you step on it and you just fall straight into this pit 
right? They literally Viet Cong. They Viet. Oh they Punjabed my ass, and I fall into this pit and obviously scream like bloody murder because I'm like three or four or something like that. And or I think I was four at this time, maybe five. And oh my god, my mom saved me, thank god. But that that was a, a terrifying experience. <laughs> They were fucking, like, laughing their asses off. Like, and I was just, like, laying in this pit and trying to jump out of it and claw my way out. And they're just, like, cackling. Oh, my God. Dude, the, um, the, the, bro- the brother dynamic is one of the craziest things of all time. It's so difficult to explain. But and it would that, just, they're just being, like... Incredible. Right? So that's the first one I want to share. And then a more updated version of that from when we were older... You always do, like, the late-night runs, you know? Like, just, like, a or random school night or something, and you, like, want food, for instance, is, like, one reason you'd go out. And we'd, like, do stuff like that. <laughs> we'd, like, do these weird, like, little adventures in the middle of the night, like, whether we're, where we, like, needed food or something. And it would... Because it's, like, rural Wisconsin, there's not that much open. And so it's, like, okay, what is open at 4 a.m.? Sort of, like situation going on and your, your choices get very limited and we had been out hunting for pokemon cards that day right or so no no sorry even yeah. worse we were doing Yu-Gi-Oh cards at that time because we'd gotten back into it and we were fucking dueling each other like get back That's from junior awesome. like get back from junior year of high school head into my basement and play Yu-Gi-Oh with nate like it was fucking nuts <laughs> um and it was always like random wednesdays and stuff like that and We'd, uh, so we, like, we got a really shit packs, right? And we were just, like, it was stuff we didn't want. Like, it didn't go towards, like, the deck building that we were interested in. Like, it just wasn't, like, stuff you'd use, necessarily. Um, and so we go, we find out the Hardee's is, like, the only thing open. And so we go there, and the guy, like, sees the Pokemon, the Yu-Gi-Oh card, sorry. And he's like, oh, you guys play Yu-Gi-Oh or something like that? And he end end of the story is that like we end up trading Yu-Gi-Oh cards for like ice cream sandwiches at Hardee's, and like with this weird ass like we gave him like ten cards per sandwich. I mean like a weird little negotiation we had because we all first he was gonna give us one. We're like okay, we all want some. It was it was a weird little thing. And we also, it was always food related, because one time we got this pizza, and Nate, first, Nate always had a bunch of wigs in his car, don't ask me why, but he was, like, wearing some, like, red hookers wig or something, and we were driving home with a, with a, with a big-ass little Caesar's pizza, me and Nate in the front seat, Patrick in the back, and Patrick starts chowing down, you know, he's a hungry boy, and he loves his little Caesar's. <laughs> And he tears into it, right? And he's back there. You can hear him munching and crunching. And, and <laughs> me and Nate are having some discussion. And Nate's trying to make a point. And he, like, ends his point. And he, he like, for, for, for a fact or something, he rips off his hooker's wig and throws it into the back seat. <laughs> and he fucking pile-drived it right into Patrick's pizza. <laughs> and... <laughs> Patrick made, like, the most expressive noise I've ever heard. He, it was some iteration of, like, oh, And it was, it, like, the only dynamite would do. It was so... Oh, my God. That was... Uh, uh, the most, one of the most iconic sounds in my brain. That's so funny. Oh, also them oh getting me into Tim and Eric like way early on, like oh, as Jesus it was coming Christ. out. I will never, for, I will never forgive them. For right? Like I, I wasn't. It wasn't a thing at that oh. point. It was like the, the like literally as it was coming out, they were into it, 
and they were like, hey, William, That's like, it's really crazy. And I was not oh, into it. I hated it. They kept showing it to me. They're like, hey, look, check out the, this cat that says Salome. And I just, like, was. It was like. <laughs> no, I'll, I'll it's watch that. It's like, not funny. It's just not no, it's, funny. No, it's, yeah. it's, it's an experience. And then, like, three years later, as I was getting to, like, Marquette or something, I don't know if that timeline's. It might have been longer than that. I can't remember. Um. I, like, rediscover it, and I fucking love it. And it, it's always weird, because I'm like, I'd send a video to Patrick, and he'd be like, oh, this is so funny, like, watch this. And I'd be like, yeah, I saw this, like, five years ago, would be, like, what the vibe was. Oh, my so, God. Anyways, that's, that's, I think that's a good characterization of it. That's incredible. God. I have, I have one more quick one that I think you'll like, and if it reminds you of anything else, go ahead and tell it, but... Um... There was one night where I think I was... I was probably 11, maybe younger. No, I had to have been younger. I don't know. I was I was a child. Henry was, like, even more of a child. And we were back at our old house in Mount Vernon. And I think my dad... My dad was away on some, like, job trip or something. So it was just us and our mom and, like, my infant sister. And... For some reason, Henry and I just decided, like, we normally didn't like each other that much growing up just because pretty big age gap. And I was like, oh, I'm the older brother. I'm so much superior than you. Like, fuck you. And he was, like, the annoying little infant that, like, existed to terrorize me. But for some reason that day, we decided to join forces and just absolutely terrorize our mom for whatever reason. It was, like, subconscious almost. I don't really know why. But we just spent, like, like basically an entire day making our life miserable. And I, <laughs> like, thinking back about it, I felt so bad. But, like, this, this tracks just, like, for you, John stuff. Luke. It's so... What'd you say? This, tra- you say? this tracks for you. <laughs> I know. It's, it's yeah, so unlike me. But um, we would, like, it was, like, little things. Like, she got groceries, like, that day. And I just remember, like like taking grocery bags and like putting them upstairs so she would have to like walk up our stairs to go what get the fuck them. is wrong like, with you two i know it was this so bad woman. it was like such i know it was so it was so bad and like at night i think we did what did we do um at night oh, what we, did like, we staged, do <laughs> oh we staged we staged a little food fight and so like I was sitting at like our countertop eating like cereal and Henry was like grabbing something out of the fridge and I just took like a handful of my cereal and just like threw it at him. And so and so then he like grabbed a bunch of grapes that were in our fridge and like threw them back at me and we were just like destroying our house. And so my mom you guys was, are assholes. was like, Oh Yeah, we were we were really fucking bad that weekend. I was a good kid growing up most times. I don't remember why I turned to this, but I, I remember it so so clearly. And so then my mom, who's sitting in our living room adjacent to our kitchen, like sees us and we like burst out laughing because we just threw fucking food all over our kitchen. Uh, She sees this and she's like, oh, you guys want to throw stuff all around the house? All right, it's on. And she just snapped and she grabbed two cartons of eggs and just. (laughs) (laughs) And so like I dart out our front door. And, like, my brother follows me, and she, like, she goes up to the front door and just locks it. Oh, my God. And we're like, wait. We're like, wait. Oh, God. And so we, like, run around to, like, our side door, locked, go to our back door, and she's standing there and locks it in front of us. And she's like, you guys can't come back in until you, like, get better. And we were like, 
we'll we'll just start causing trouble like outside our backyard. <laughs> How is that the do? response? I th- I would have given Dude, up right know. there. You're just like I was I, just I, take but, it to the backyard. I know. I, I think we were we were too we were like too internally proud at that moment to like to give up then. And so I remember I was like, wait a second. There's shovels in our garage, Henry. And so I like ran in and grabbed the shovel and just started like digging a hole in our backyard. Oh my god. And my mom, credit to her, she opens up a window that's in our like back sun. Starts blasting. And starts no, she starts hucking eggs at us. And <laughs> like like God bless her. She she had some accuracy and some power. <laughs> like we had like take cover. And like I could only imagine what this looked like to our neighbors. Where it's literally <laughs> like you see you see these two small children dart out the front door, like not able to get back in, and they like run around to the back, not able to get in. They grab a shovel from their garage and start digging a hole in the backyard. <laughs> and all of a sudden eggs just start going like flying out of the windows of the house. I just could not imagine. And at some point, like, we ran out of energy and she ran out of eggs and we came up to the window and we're like, we're sorry. <laughs> and she's like, I hate you guys right now, but come in and go to bed right fucking now. And that's just how it ended. And we just, I don't know, like, <laughs> I, I never did anything like that again. But for some reason, <laughs> Henry and I were just like, you know what? <clears throat> Today's the day. It's just the day. That's, that's, oh, that's a wonderful story, Judd. Can I, can I give you, weird shit you two do. little quips about my father? Fuck yes, let's hear it. Okay. First of these. Related, this is what spurred me to think about this, you know. Uh, my dad, my mom and dad, when we were younger, my mom was more, like, in charge of, like, dealing with us, so to say. Like, if we were misbehaving, it was her punishment. And, stuff. and at some point, as we're getting to be older and our fights are, mine and my brother's shenanigans and fights are getting to be too much, right? Um my dad like steps in as the person who does this now and he had the most intimidating way of like getting us to stop he would just like you'd be like fighting or something and he would just come up and he would start counting down right and he was a marine and stuff, so it was like it's intense where he's just like five four three you have no idea what he's doing but you you do not let the countdown hit zero like, we always stopped no, whatever never. the fuck, whatever we were doing, no matter what, nor how pissed off I was, I stopped. And I, like, went to my room. That is fucking brilliant. I have no, also, I have note, no idea what happens at zero. <laughs> I I didn't know your dad was a Marine. My dad was also a Marine. Mm-hmm. Did he ever go into active duty? Uh, he was stationed in Hawaii for four years. I see. Okay. That's cool, though. Anyways, your next... Your next quip. Probably the best place to be stationed, to be fair. Other I, than maybe London. Awesome, yeah. <laughs> True. My brother. My brother's getting it easy right now. <laughs> Did you say you have one more quip? About oh yeah. Your dad. I was gonna say another little nostalgic story. So my dad, since I since I was little, has always been a Budweiser man, right? Be like, oh William, can you God grab me a him. beer? Yeah. I head up. Grab my Budweiser, open it up for him. I thought it was the best son when I did that. I would like, I like, I would like have it. Oh, I'd like crack it, I twist it open in front of him, and like give it to him. And I'd sometimes bring him two, so he had one for later. And uh, I would, I took such pride in that. And once I started drinking, obviously I went for the Budweiser because I'm like, oh, that's what my dad drinks. It's easy to, to get your hands on. Oh my god, I hated it. It's like the worst thing on earth to me, right? Like it is a disgusting mm-hmm. beer. 
And I have, it is not I have good. been yeah. I have been firm believer in this. I hate it. I can't stand the beer. I'd much rather take a spotted cow or a Guinness or something, right? Or even a Coors Light. Of course. Uh, of course. And speaking of which, have you heard of hams with lime? Uh, I've heard of hams, and I know hams is kind of the uh, it's the it's the the secondary beer of choice. I've never had it with lime though. Okay, apparently that's a thing out west. I was told, like it's out a thing west. where like you'll go and it's it's what you order is like you order a ham with lime or hams with lime. Anyways, that just popped in my head. Crazy, right? Okay. Nuts. Um, what was I talking about? You were talking about how you're trying Budweiser. Oh yeah, after, yeah, yeah. You know, a childhood and of giving it to your dad. My my and then like for years. Now, I have just been not into it. And my dad, from the last time he visited, uh, like, left me a bunch of beer. Like, a shit ton of, like, cases of Spotted Cow and, like, all this. Oh, so much good beer. So much. It was really cool. It was was a lot of the space in the van he brought down. Anyways, and I, like, just now (laughs) ran out of that supply and this supply that I bought earlier for when Nate came down... And I was, like, digging around in my fridge, like, what can I drink for this podcast? And I see those Budweiser's, two of them, sitting in the back of my fridge from, however, like, m- six months ago. Right? Oh, my God. <laughs> I, I don't know why they're not skunked, but I've been drinking these for this podcast, and my God, they are delicious. This is some of the most enjoyable beer I have had. Like, I don't know if it's the taste, I don't know if it's just the setting, but something about these beers right now, I get it. And I'm going to start buying Budweiser, and I've become a Budweiser man. No fucking way. Oh my god. Mm. <laughs> Call me Bud, okay, one, John. Good, good for you. You should tell your dad tomorrow, because he'd be so proud of you. But that shit is so funny. Hey, oh my it's goodness. the king of beers. I'm That's reading right. it right that now on literally... here. That is literally the label. Well, Will, we fucking did it. Two hours and 12 minutes. I finally tracked you down on this goddamn podcast. and uh, I've been bobbing it was a blast. Them, but you caught me. I, I finally fucking did. You're going to be on soon again mm. as part of the league cast with uh, you, me, Matt, and some special features. So we're going to have to find... I'm going to have to fucking snag you with another net here soon. But... Uh, Thank you very much for coming on. This was fucking awesome. I hope you had a good time, too. I did. I had a great time. Thanks for having me.